What is up, BA family, and welcome to another episode of the Breathing Air podcast, where everyday action meets extraordinary mindset. I'm your host, Mason Bendigo, and thank you all so much for tuning in. If you've been listening along, this is week 21, which is crazy. It's flown by. If you're listening for the first time, welcome to the journey. I'm so happy to have you. I think you all are going to absolutely love this week's guest. She is a leadership career coach and consultant. She has done TED Talks. She has done speaking. She is the CEO of Build High Performing Teams. She has an extraordinary story about how she spent 20 plus years in corporate America and was right on the fringe of a C-suite executive position and decided to branch off and be an entrepreneur and follow her passion. Her name is Anna Oaks, and her passion is something that focuses on restoring humanity in our workplaces and helping build quality teams and helping build growth within organizations and within individuals. And she is very passionate about what she does, as anyone would be that has taken such a leap of faith to follow something that they believe in. And I think it shines through, and there is no explanation needed when you hear her talk. You can find her at buildhighperformingteams.com or on her Instagram at the Anna Oaks, A-N-N-A-O-A-K-E-S. So you can DM her, check her out, hit her with the follow. Great stuff over there on her Instagram and on her website as well. I don't know about y'all, but with all the COVID stuff going on and everything else, I've been spending a lot more time outside. And if you're looking for a company that is going to give you some quality, quality products, whether we're talking bug spray, clothing, anything for outdoor adventurists, for the enthusiast, for anyone who's just outside grilling this summer, Borderline Clothing and Supply is the place that you need to check out. They're a local small business here based out of Mountain Home, Arkansas, and they have quality products made with all organic cotton, very environmentally friendly They have bug spray made with essential oils and all these other really cool things for men and women alike. Not only do they have great products, but they also have a great cause behind it with every single product that is bought from Borderline. They donate 20 meals to the local food bank and already they've donated over 20,000. So it's a win-win situation. You get a great product and you're also helping out a great cause. So go check them out at Borderline Clothing Supply on Instagram and socials. And then their website is Borderline Clothing and Supply. As always, if you haven't followed us on socials yet, I highly suggest that I'd love to interact with you all as much as possible. We're on Instagram at Breathing Air Podcast and then Breathing Air Podcast on Facebook business page also, or you can follow me personally Mason Bendigo on Twitter, on Facebook, and then BA underscore podcast nine five on Twitter. And I just want to interact with you all as much as possible. I'm going to keep you updated on everything that's going on with the show. And then obviously just things that I think are going to help you through your day to day or that help me through my day to day that I'll also continue to post on there. And I want to interact with you all as much as possible. So I'm highly encouraging it. If you have any suggestions for guests, or if you just want to ask some questions from me regarding fitness, regarding mindset or anything that I've been working on lately or discussing, I am super, super open to talking about everything. So I highly encourage it. And I hope that y'all do. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and hit that rating. If you're enjoying it, share with friends and comment. As always, thank y'all so much for tuning in. I'm so blessed to be able to do this and help you get one step closer to achieving your dreams and what you want in life. So without further ado, Anna Oaks, I'm pumped for y'all to hear this. Here we go. Anna Oaks, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm so stoked to be here. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a crazy time. We're just talking about this crazy time that we're in and it's easy for us to, like you said earlier, live out of a state of scarcity and fear and live in this place of, you know, not attacking like we usually do. So, um, what, what's some things that's been going on with you lately? How have you been kind of dealing with these situations and, and staying positive? Oh man, good. This is gonna be like therapy. I always love it. Like I love the people that I coach and they leave. They're like, oh, that was like therapy. And you're like close, right? but I'm not a therapist. <laughs> I have had both and I strongly believe we should all have both, but Absolutely. okay. So me, hmm, so interesting. So my company has been around for four years. So I left corporate America after 20 years as what I would call it an intrapreneur, somebody who works within the system, but really has a lot of those similar characteristics of being curious and innovative and able to spot problems and then solve them. And I struggled because I, I passed up the C-suite job to go out on my own. And so, you know, for whatever reasons, I could list all of them. And some of them have come to fruition and some of them are still aspirational because I don't think the work stops. But as far as me, you know, over the four years, I've been a leadership coach. I uh, coach high performers, teams, organizations on large scale change, really anything that's going to add value to help them get from here to there, right? That's my expertise is that growth zone. So I look at situations like we're in right now, Mason, with uh, COVID and as tragic as it is, I'll talk about COVID and the anti-racist work, but as tragic as COVID is, it's also an awakening, right? Because a lot of the people and organizations who come to me, I know they definitely want to, want to be better and do better, but then I, I illustrate what the work could look like and that it's not overnight. And, and then they start to say like, well, I guess if it's not broke, I won't fix it. And it's like, okay, then you obviously haven't experienced enough pain. Call me when you're ready, you know? Call me when that comes because it will come. It will come. And so I just sort of waited out and it's sort of a long game from a sales cycle, but I'm patient. Like, okay, you know, and not from a, I'm wishing you ill, but I know just like you that it will come like setbacks come. So now we have this collective reset with COVID that changed is fundamentally the way we're working. And that's really where I love to, to watch is like the systems and the ant farm and how do we get the ants to go from here to there in order to accomplish our goals. Well, there's lots of barriers in the way that we work uh, that have existed for decades and decades, depending on how long the organization has been involved. And they exist because we have best intentions, but things change and they no longer work, but we don't want to undo them. Mm -hmm. They also exist because humans are involved and humans are fallible and imperfect and we screw stuff up, you know, like we, you and I think differently. And if we attacked a project, we'd both attack it differently. And if we don't appreciate that, we're going to get different results. So I look at COVID, I'm very excited, sorry to say that, but excited to see we now have a, 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 a collective sense of urgency that we did not have before. Right. And it, it is kind of a, it's a perspective game when it comes to this, because obviously there's some businesses that have thrived in this situation. There's some that are struggling and majority are struggling when it comes to these things, unless you have like a niche product, like a mask or hand sanitizer. Right. So it's, it's, it really is a perspective game when you look at it from, you know, a macro kind of view because this too shall pass, but this is an awakening for a lot of businesses and a lot of people not only in how they run their business, but how they live their lives, right? Because you never know what, what can happen. We don't have control of these situations. So. Yeah. So COVID, you know, COVID was that first awakening and that was global, right? And now we have, at least in the U S we have this push around the anti-racist work right. and, and individuals are looking to see how are, how are their organizations or their bosses handling the quarantine I mean, I just talked to somebody who's an executive at a, at a large company in, in the United States, and she was saying even though her state has a law that says you're supposed to be wearing a mask, this corporate environment is not enforcing that, mm-hmm. and she doesn't feel comfortable. And guess what? Somebody came to work with COVID not wearing a mask, even though she was. Now she had to cancel her vacation, be on quarantine for two weeks. So there's this weird dynamic happening of personal accountability and collective and then you add on this, this element of watching how your organization is handling the anti-racist movement and talking about something that's really taboo, 
and hasn't been talked about or it's like hush hush we shouldn't really talk about that it makes people feel uncomfortable right well we should be talking about that because that makes up a large part of people's humanity no absolutely and i had a good friend of mine sean roundtree on a little while ago during you know young african-american man that i grew up with and that i have a lot of respect for and it was kind of like hey where can me as a white male and I don't know this, this situation. I don't know how you, like, I know how you feel maybe to an extent, but still not really. I yeah. can't necessarily tr put myself in your shoes. I can try to metaphorically, but I will never know what that's like. So really, I think it's a time for all of us to listen and mm -hmm. to learn and, you know, to put ourselves in the back seat and listen to what needs to be done to help change. Yeah. And that takes a lot of humanity, that listening and admitting that, you know, so people ask me like, where, where am I at with it? I'm learning and unlearning every day. Mm -hmm. you know, and you're talking to somebody who led diversity inclusion for corporations. And I'm, I'm learning and unlearning every day. I was a TA in college for African-American history and I'm learning and unlearning every day to be a really good ally and advocate. Right. And sponsor of these individuals to, to, to really move to, from ally to me to sponsor, which is I'm going to promote those people. I'm going to speak their name. I'm going to say um, what they do and talk about their work when they're not in the room. That needs to be done more often because I think that's why I am where I am, but not everybody's been afforded that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we have to understand is that everyone's situation and perspective is different, but I think this is something that we can collectively come together for. And I hope- yeah out of everything awful and horrible that has happened that we can use this to come together. And I think there has been a lot of peaceful protests, a lot of conversations that haven't been being had, like you said, that seem taboo, but mm -hmm. that are being had. So same thing, just as perspective, you know, we could, we could look at a lot of things in a lot of different ways, but I think with leaders like yourself and uh, other people really pushing for change in a positive direction uh, in that movement is, has been great to see. So yeah. let's go back a little bit as far as you were in corporate America for 20 years. Yeah. So what were you doing and, and where were you at in corporate America? Yeah. So I worked for a large organization, State Farm Insurance for the first five years of my career while I went to school. And then I worked as a director of customer care. I was really in what I would call maybe more of that service side of, of, account management, service, how do we set up call centers, right? Just that was my area of expertise for really the first, I'd call it like eight years. And then I got a role here in Milwaukee when I relocated in supply chain management. Um, and because I was really opinionated and curious, the organization had these huge growth goals. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand what our talent strategy was to, to accomplish those growth goals. Like how were we going to build enough talent to actually get there? And did we need to go buy expertise? So that's just, I grew up like that in those other organizations. I didn't even know that was unique to ask those types of questions. I just started asking them and, and long story short, they said, well, do you want to do that for us? So I ended up doing this talent acquisition strategy, which was my entry into HR, knowing nothing about HR. People still are like, oh, you're an HR expert. I'm not. I'm really not. I mean, even though I led, went on to lead HR and was actually a successor for a chief human capital officer, I never consider myself an expert in HR. What I love and where my sweet spot is, is around that growth, that strategy, and how do we use our people in a really humane and productive way in order to accomplish our goals. So that's been my, my whole corporate career has been around that influence. And it really wasn't until I left Mason, which was a super hard decision, two years of self-inflicted torture of, are you really going to pass up the C-suite? Are you really going to pass up that much money? And then I was like, yeah, I think I am. I think I'm going to go out on my own, which was so scary. So scary. And still, sometimes I wake up like, what are you doing? <laughs> Especially during COVID. But I did it and I made the leap and it wasn't until I left that I looked back and saw that I was an intrapreneur, that I had sort of honed these skills of managing multiple projects of what I call the yes and. Yes, I'm going to do this day job that you hired me for, but you can't keep me contained. There's no lane for me to stay in. Like I'm going to make friends and influence through out the organization and find out what everybody's working on and seek out things that I want to play in. I want to play in that sandbox. I want to learn how to do that. And I just did it. 
and it's so valuable to my entrepreneurial experience. And so now it's one area that I started coaching just this year was entrepreneurs because I usually coach at that C-suite or founders of startup, you know, the, the ultimate sort of top of the pyramid, but there's so power. There's so much power at the middle of that career journey of how we can all own our time, talents, and our voices to maximize our impact. Wow. I love that because I feel like there is a lot of people today that are entrepreneurs that have that have that gut feeling of, hey, I want to create, I want to, you know, maybe create whether it's a brand or, or an idea, um, something that just is inside them that yearns for that. And, and not saying that corporate America or anything along those lines isn't a valid place to go, but a lot of people have those wants and desires, but are scared to take the leap. And that's why I think it's so incredible what you did from putting in 20 years and doing all that work, having that ability and then saying, look, it's not about the money. It's not about this. It's about, you know, it's about where I want to go. What's my passion? What, what is a calling? Like, where do I feel called? Mm -hmm. And, and that's to help people and help build teams. Yeah. And, And I think there's a good lesson in there, Mason, for, First of all, not everybody's meant to go out on their own and be an entrepreneur. Like look at the stats, right? There's so many people that fail in the first year and then that there's a huge other wave at year three and then a big wave at year four. Hi. Um, you know, so it's really tough and organizations need really innovative uh, top talent to stay. Now, the ecosystems are not always great to nurture that, but I always tell people like if you don't like the ecosystem, it's up to you to change it. Because the culture, if you want an innovative culture, if you want an empathetic culture, you want a, a culture of high performance, whatever you want, you can write that on the wall. You can talk about the values and the mission statement, but really the culture is the outcome of our daily habits and behaviors. Mm. So we have to start with each of us saying, how am I going to help accomplish that culture of X? How are you going to do it? How are we going to do it? And then that's how we get change. Because I've managed large scale change for organizations. And then I've managed changing me, changing my own behaviors. So large or small, it starts individually. And then we get this collective movement, which goes back to sort of why you and I are both so excited to see what happens next for the world. Because now we have a collective sense of urgency and we actually might see some change. So I don't want people to be discouraged to think you have to go out to be happy. Because I will actually probably go back to be an entrepreneur at some point. Yeah. I'm totally open to that. And then I'm totally open to go back to entrepreneur too. I think we just have to give ourselves permission to change our minds and not even change our minds, just explore what works for that season in your life. Right. It's, it's a weird concept of feeling like you're boxed into something. Like there's a fear. I feel like there's a fear that surrounds taking that leap. Even mm. a lot of people yearn for that leap that it's, it's, there is a lot of, you know, it's, It's a big decision, as I'm sure you can attest to. And I say, don't be afraid, be ready. Be as ready as you possibly can. And the way you get ready is by shaking the trees, is by making it a yes and. Yes, I'm going to do your day job. And I'm going to look for every opportunity to unearth, you know, pick up that stone, shake that tree, whatever metaphor you want to use, because I want to use this as a training ground for whatever my best next is. And I think your best next, Mason, could be even the role you're in. You know, if you shake off the dust that you've been in this role for a couple of years and you sort of wipe off those rose-colored glasses that we should really hopefully all have at some, in some frame of fashion, if you can manage to do that and look at your role with new eyes, you're going to add even more value and you're going to grow in different ways than you did before because 67% of people are not engaged in their work. So you can say you are, but look to your neighbors. Two out of three of you are not engaged in your work, which means you're not giving your best. So you, if, you want, if you want more out of your career, you have to give more. You've got to become engaged and not wait for your leader or your organization to pull you along. That's why I got the good projects. That's why roles were created for me. And that's why people value my opinion today is because I learned how to step up almost with that safety net of the organization. So why wouldn't you want that, right? I... I played college football, so I love the turnover of being able to see how an organization works within a team of 100 100 plus guys and then a staff of 10 to 15 higher ups and then obviously the head coach or the CEO. And then seeing that rollover 
And it's the same thing. The same concept applies to culture and how it does trickle down. But it's so important, like you said, for each individual on that team to be able to hold themselves accountable and and be a leader within their groups or within the team and the organization because that's ultimately I mean you have your meetings with with your bosses you have those things for me we do I do medical sales now medical device sales so I have my team within a bigger division and then we have our boss so like obviously we communicate with them but day to day you know it's up to us to hold each other accountable to make sure we're doing the things that we're supposed to be doing and being organized and whatnot so I love that concept of being able to look in the mirror for, for someone who's, who's an entrepreneur or someone who wants this concept of how do I get more out of my career and how do I, you know, push, push the boundaries a little bit. What's the first steps that they should take to, to go towards that goal? Yeah. Interesting. So I dropped a podcast episode this week on building your support system inside and outside the company. So if you guys want to go check that out, but I'll give you like the Cliff's Notes versions of that is that you should be finding a mentor and a sponsor inside and you should be finding a mentor and a sponsor outside, mm. right? Sponsor is a little bit harder on the outside because it's really about speaking your name in the, in the room when you're not there. So it makes sense in an organization because you know what rooms they're in and you're not in. But right. I have... I could name probably 50 plus sponsors that I have in my work right now. People right. who come to me for counsel and I go to them for counsel and we have a respected relationship. So they are referring work to me. That's a form of sponsorship. And if you're running your internal business and running your internal brand, go seek out first the mentor who's behind the scenes and you say, hey, I really want to get better at A or B or C. And they'll have a targeted time of frame a time of, of, of working with you, but then go seek a sponsor that says, Hey, I really want to tell you about all the good work that I'm doing here. So we got to get good at talking about what we do and tell, telling stories without feeling like we're bragging. Right. But it takes practice, it takes practice. And here's the tip guys. If you always come back to the value that it's bringing the organization, they will not walk away hearing all Anna did was talk about herself or all Mason did was talk about herself because I'm talking about the work I'm doing because I love the organization and I choose to work here. We right. all choose to work there, even in a starved, you know, uh, job market right now, we still choose to work where we do. So we might as well make it good, right? right? So tell those stories, talk about the value you know this is gonna bring, even if it's small guys, we don't have to be like change everything. Mm -hmm. In fact, in my career in those times, Mason, probably early on, or when maybe I overstayed my time in an organization and my stress level started to get high, when you're sloppy like that, it does start to become about you because you forget how, what you love about the organization. And it starts to become only about how you want massive change instead of understanding that I can't move all my ideas forward, but here's the ones I do think will add value. So I would say start there, right? Build your support system inside. And it's okay if you don't have one. The best place to start is right where you're at. You don't have to go look for another job. Start anew, right? This COVID is a great excuse, right? I'd like 30 minutes on your calendar. I'd really love to hear about what you're working on and how you're handling COVID. Cool. Right. Simple as that. Yeah. First step, that action, that, that thought, but with the action behind it. Yeah. Now, thing for me when I even started this whole project was the the concept of stop talking start doing yes all these ideas and and all these things that I wanted to put in play and and how, how am I using my talents best to help other people mm -hmm. and I, I was just it was just staying there it wasn't doing anything and that was the whole thought behind the project was to continue to, you know, use the talents that I feel like God has given me to help other people. And that, I feel like that's what makes me the happiest. That's so good. Because when we look at those two out of the three people, so we'll just say two out of three, 60, 67%. So even slightly more, I've been in that 67%. You yeah. have likelihood. We all are there at some point in time. And I want to give one little asterisk to this conversation, Mason, that we're in an extreme time of stress. 
And even I operate from a place of scarcity and not abundance right now when I don't know what's going to happen with my twin nine-year-olds in the fall. And my husband's looking for a new job and I'm trying to stabilize my business. I get that. So give yourself permission that there are seasons that you won't feel like doing what I'm talking about right now. Totally okay. Guys, there have been many times in my career where I have not pushed the pedal to the metal and I've been in that 67%. Right. But we each have to fight like hell to get in to that 32% of people who are engaged because that's the sweet spot. That's the sweet spot of saying, I'm not giving 110% because I always say, look, look, you have 100% to give of you a day. And that's for your whole life, Mason. Not for me as your employer. You have 100% of you to give to your whole life. You have to manage how much energy you're giving. But let's just say you're gonna give us 60 to 70% of your energy given the time you spend at a full-time job. Why don't you want to make that the best 60 to 70% that you could possibly give? And I'm not talking about long hours. This is not about more. This is about smart, right? Working smart, working to add value, working for impact. So good for you. That's so great. Absolutely. So how do we look at the difference of I'm working super hard, but maybe not getting as much results as I want versus sitting down and saying, okay, this is how I'm going to work smarter. And, and how do we kind of read that blurred line between smarter and harder? Because I know oftentimes people are like, I'm putting 12 hours and I'm putting 13 hours and I'm losing sleep. I'm doing this and that. And I'm a big proponent for finding the balance to where you operate at optimal levels. So where do you think the best way is to find that balance? Yeah. I talk about doing an audit. It's gotta be a time audit because there's two things that we all, um, it's, they're like two Achilles heels. It's capacity and capability. And the first one is the one that we all get tripped up with because we tend to overcommit. And especially as a high performer who wants to say yes to everything or an impactful entrepreneur, you can at times overcommit. And there were times, guys, where I wasn't married or even before we had our twins that I was working long hours and had no complaints about it. Like I knew that that was like my time to get that experience, to learn how to project manage, to learn how IT um, pushes projects through and to learn how the HR team does X, Y, Z. I was like a kid in a candy store. You know what I mean? So if that's you right now and you don't have a lot of those other burdens or burdens, those other things, that was so horrible. I did not mean that. You don't have all those other things pulling on you. Great but you still have to work smart. I'm not saying work 80 hour work weeks, do an audit. So whether you're a mom or not, or a dad or not, or you're an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, everybody should be auditing their capacity. And I would say do it weekly in the sense of reviewing your calendar. Can you look back at what you did this week? And I calendar everything. So try to calendar everything to give yourself enough data and then look back at how many of those meetings, conversations, scrolling what where did that get you what what arrow did that point to in terms of your top goals or the way you want to add value and if they didn't do it stop saying yes to that type of activity and if it's a work-based activity that you're getting pulled into because i think a lot of people have that issue um gather more data do it do it for a few weeks and then have a conversation with your leader that just says gosh i'm in all these meetings about this project and I can't get anything done and I don't see that they're that valuable or I would say maybe approach it a different way to say like, I think they could be more valuable if what, what, what's your idea to make those meetings more valuable? I, I would go to my leader often and I would say things like, um, you know, I think I'm going to tell the meeting chair that I'll attend half the time. Are you comfortable with that? Cause I need to find more capacity, AKA breathing room, AKA time to actually think. We don't give ourselves time to actually think. I mean, I talked to an executive at a major company yesterday and he was saying, yep, I'm one of the ones you talk about who's on like nine to 10 hours of Zoom calls every day right now. And I have to like have the floating head and it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And so we can't expect that our leader is going to audit our capacity or that the organization as a whole is going to say like, oh, we should really be, we have to push that ourselves. We have to push that ourselves. So start with your audit to create that capacity because you will not build new capabilities if you have no capacity. So that capacity and that capability of that growth is where you learn of the capabilities, but you will not do that if you don't have the capacity. Right. And I, 
I think you're spot on. I, I love the saying peace begins with pause. Mm. Oftentimes we are in a world, especially with social media and this and this and that mm. it's go, 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 go. And I even find myself like, I don't want to miss out on this opportunity. I don't want to miss this. I don't want to miss that. So I'm constantly stretching myself where sometimes it's better to say no. <laughs> a lot yeah. of better to say no. I think too, Mason, I'll add on that even if we can't pull back on everything that we're involved in, we can pause to your point to understand and um, I guess draw from that experience better. Because what happens with high performers is we're going to get ourselves involved with everything. So we're going, 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 going. All right. So maybe we don't have any capacity, but we're also not building capabilities if we don't pause to understand what did I do really well? What could I have done better or differently? What did I learn from other people? It's about the integration of that experience. Even if it wasn't the best, I bet if you pause to integrate your learnings, you will actually come away with 30, 40% more learning and growth from that than if you just like wiped it and said, I'm done. Right. It's and there's another reason for that audit or that like uh, reflection is if you keep that journal, you always have this running list of the capabilities that you're that you're building the projects that you're working on because you're constantly doing that reflection. Yeah. So you have it. It's a tool for you to use. Right. I love, I love the journal concept and I just recently started earlier this year incorporating that yeah. not as consistently as possible, but even just like morning gratitude, like waking yeah. up, writing down things. Okay. Here's, here's goals. As far as you talked about mentors, I had a meeting with, one of my mentors, Graham Smith, who I hope he can eventually come on the podcast. I know he will, but very successful entrepreneur, you know, like 32 LLCs, very successful. Wow. And the first meeting that we had, we sat down and he brought out a booklet, a, a journal. And it was like 20 to 2012, dated 2012, had, you know, business goals, personal goals, uh, relational goals mm -hmm. and all these things written out, right? I want to have, I want this business to grow X here. I want this relationship to go here. I want this project to go here by this time or whatever. And he's like, hold on one second, runs out to his car, grabs another notebook. This one was from like 2003. So what that showed me is he's even kept these, these things and been able to look back 10 plus years and say, look at this growth, look at, and not only that, but look at the consistency to follow this and write it down and be able to take that first step to making it a reality, putting it on yeah. paper, which I don't think yeah. a lot of people realize how powerful that is. I know I didn't until I started doing it myself. Yeah. So it's, it, you're killing so many birds with one stone, right? You're pausing to reflect, mm -hmm. you're documenting where you've been and you're giving yourself data to take action at a later time. Because, you know, look, it's easy for us to lose our swagger during times like this go back to that notebook and see how far you've come. See, see the things that you've looked at because sometimes I'll work on projects. I saw an ex coworker the other day. She was like, remember that project? And I literally was like, I did not remember that. I, and it was so impactful. And I was like, why isn't that on my list? Like I, I haven't looked at that list in forever. So yeah. it, it can just really fuel you when you need it too. So, so many wins in that journaling aspect. Absolutely. You talk about one of the things that you talk about, is the three E's of developing yourself. Oh, yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about that, the three. Yeah, so, you know, I think, and I talk to organizations about this too because they'll want to bring me in for a training. And it's like, okay, like we can do a training and that falls into the E of education. Okay, so I look at that as like an education. There is validity in education, um, but you are not going to get true behavior change from that. You will, you will get so much more from experience and exposure than mm. you do from attending a formal training class. Very true. Right? So it's education, experience, and exposure. And I think we need all three, but unfortunately, organizations tend to put a lot of their dollars and their time towards the education, the training, because you can give it to a lot of people at one time. You can make it towards a topic that is aligned with one of the goals the company is going to try to accomplish. But remember what we talked about culture earlier? Like if you want to change the culture, we have to change the daily habits and behaviors of your people. The training 
have the training, but then without the experience and exposure to reinforce it, the training will probably do very little and it'll waste everyone's time and money. And it causes the disengagement of your people because they're so frustrated that you're asking them to be this thing. And then you sent them through this training one time, but then nothing's changed in their day to day. So you have to create a different environment. It goes back to the ecosystem, right? Experience, education, and exposure. And the difference too between experience and exposure is exposure, I'm going to watch somebody do it, right? Like I can say, could I shadow you in IT? And the experience is I'm going to do it, right? I'm, I'm actually going to practice doing that. And those are both powerful for two different reasons. You know, I don't, may not want to ever do the IT role that I just shadowed. I mean, you, you name the role within organizations I've been in and I shadow those people for one to two hours at least, if not more, to get to know what they do, know them as a person, understand their impact. Oh, now I understand when I request data on our employees and I want it within two hours and I want all these qualifications to it. Now I get how hard that is for you to pull from the system, to understand your workload. It just gives you that sense of additional scope and, and I think it comes back to humanity for your coworkers too. Right. The, the concept of humanity for your coworkers, you talk about that a lot. What exactly do you mean by humanity for coworkers within an organization? Yeah. I mean, my, my main goal when I think about, you know, that question of like on your deathbed, what do you really want to be? I mean, first of all, I want to be an amazing partner and, and an impactful mama. Like those are those, I, I really hold that responsibility very, very close. Um, so that's a given. But if you ask me, like, how did I use my time, talents and voice? I want to help restore the humanity into our work and our workplaces. For all the reasons I just illustrated, because humans are involved and it gets messy and it's really, really hard for an individual to change habits. It's really, really hard for an organization too. And I think we forget that. And so I talk about humanity from both levels, top down, bottom up, bottom up. I want employees to remember that they're asking humans to lead them and instruct them and guide them and carve a career for them, it doesn't work that way. Expecting your boss or your company to fully cater to Mason or to Anna is, is expecting, it's like expecting your life partner to completely fulfill you. That's not their job. Right. That's not their job. So we have to find the fulfillment for ourselves. So I want them to understand they're asking uh, humans to do this for them. I want them to reclaim that ownership. And then I want them to have some kindness that their leaders have capacity and capability issues too. Right. So it start. that's the looking up that I, I realize why asking them to own my career and formulate some path for me is naive and, 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 and way too risky because even when they do it, I don't think that's for you. That's for the organization. Right. So it comes back to ownership. And then I think from top down humanity, Mason, is keeping in mind always that what we're talking about is how do we leverage this, these, this group of people, whether it's four or 4,000 or 40,000 that have chosen to work with us and committed their majority of their day to day to our goals. How do we acknowledge that? and understand that when we're setting our goals and expectations for them and how do we take a bigger responsibility in the ecosystem so it sounds like a contradiction where i'm saying employees shouldn't expect the organization to do it and then i'm saying the organization should do it but i actually think that's the that's the mindset that we all need to have to get that sandwiching of employees rise up and grab yourself your individual time talents and voice and then the organization says, thank you for taking that initiative to move from that 67 to the 32, right, to that high performance. And I see you and I'm going to try my hardest to create an ecosystem, an environment that you can thrive in. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like a lot of times when people start off in their career and their job, when they have these thoughts and feelings, they may be a little bit more introverted as to talking to some of these leaders, especially early off as to, you know, how, how can I get the most out of this? And, and we spend majority of our time of the day at our jobs, right? So 
that would not be a good place to, to live in. But I know a lot of people do live in that place. How would someone who say is just starting out or maybe they're two or three years down the line and, and they want to be able to maybe have their voice heard a little bit. And like you said, confident in the capabilities to not sound like bragging, but always bringing it back to, Hey, I'm providing value to the company. And that's, that's the bottom line of it. So how would someone go about maybe going to upper management or even their president saying, Hey, this is something I'm seeing. Like, could we, could we do this here? Or how, how can they take that step? That's so cool. You know, I started talking to some intern groups this summer, which is not a group that I normally talk to. It's usually more of that 10, 18 plus year of their career. But I talked to a group of 500 interns at a major employer in the United States last week. And I talked about this very topic. And the title was called um, Owning Your Career, How to Move Ideas Forward Without Breaking Too Much China. Because I do feel like if we are taking more ownership, there's going to be a little bit more tension within the organization of people saying like, well, here's what I want and need. And well, here's what I want and need. But I, I know for a fact, having led teams for over 20 years, that it's, it's doable. You can create an ecosystem where this works. So my advice for, for them, similar to really anybody, it's, it's about value. But if you want to get better at understanding how to communicate your value, I think you need to do three things. Be curious, be a good storyteller, and learn how to build a business case. You know, and so curiosity, I use that word instead of innovation, Mason, because I think innovation gets overplayed and there is a very specific lane for that. And I think when I, because I'm writing the book on entrepreneurs and I'm interviewing hundreds, if not thousands of these people, when I pull back the research and the commonalities between them, Mason, is we are all sort of pushing the agenda and I want you to do that. But when we focus too much on innovation, it feels like something brand new has to get created or that we have to wipe everything out and throw the baby out with the bathwater. And in my own experience and in my research, I've seen that that's where people hit the wall. Their brand starts to suffer because they're known as like the person who's breaking too much China. And it's no longer a value to the organization because now it's become about Anna or Mason's ideas. So that's why I say focus on curiosity. And I gave you a few examples already of like job shadow with other people, right? serve on that committee, go, go to that nonprofit volunteering, be involved in your employee resource groups. You guys, if you are not doing that, you are passing up education experience and exposure that's going to get you ready for your best next. And you're counting on people to give you on a silver platter what you should be doing. So don't do that. So be curious, get to know the organization. If you see a problem, even if it's not in your lane, ask about it. Like, hey, I was, I was seeing this over here and, and maybe I don't have all the data, but it feels like we could be doing something better over here, right? When I ran HR, I saw a major problem in our efficiency and effectiveness, even though the company I was running or the HR team I was running, the organization was rolling in cash. So they didn't think they had a problem, but I was like, we actually could do better. Well, with my side gig internally while I was still running HR was to build the strategic change office. And over three years, we saved millions of dollars in hard costs, $35,000 or 35,000 hours in inefficiencies to create capacity for capabilities. You see, so if I, if I had shied away and said, well, that's not the head of HR's job to talk about that, then it would, I'm not saying it would have never gotten done, but it wouldn't have gotten done when it did. So you got to give yourself that permission, right? To be curious. And then as far as storytelling, it's, a number, it's one of the top 10 soft skills needed right now, or even hard skills, I guess you could call it, in organizations. I think Udemy did a study of what people were looking for. And the reason I talk about storytelling is that if you want to get good about talking about the value you could bring to the organization without being a braggart, you have to get good at telling stories. Like talking about the problem in a non-gossipy way Right. Being curious and gathering data from other people and then saying like, I've talked to these following people and they're also seeing the similar pain points and then telling the story about and asking questions. How, how could we fix this together? I'm not saying that we individually have to come up with all the answers, Mason. We have to get good at storytelling about the problem and our potential input into the problem, but then we help the organization solve it. Right. That's storytelling. And then the last one is business, business cases. I was talking to the head of innovation about a month ago uh, and for a large corporation, and they have made a lot of movement, Mason, to have a culture of innovation. But even they were saying that still the number one skill gap 
even in the departments or teams that are like the standalones, like a mini startup designed to be innovative inside the organization, they still struggle with building their business case. Like, how do I actually move ideas forward? So my best advice there is start asking people who've managed to get ideas moved forward. Go to the people who've had a project accepted or an idea and say, like, can you tell me about, like, what was the problem that you had? Like, why did you even do this? What was your, what were all of your ideas? Because the likelihood is, is that the final idea wasn't their first idea, right? Let them tell you the story and you're going to learn so much from that. And then now you have the data of how they moved it forward. And then you say, like, do you mind if I look at your pitch deck or the one pager or however your organization does it, you may not know. So ask, ask to see what was the deck that they presented to the executive committee? What did the memo look like to even get on their calendar? Ask to see sort of those artifacts in the situation. And that's how you're going to learn. Cause I, I will tell you, I could tell you how to get ideas move forward at X company, but it might be different than Y. Hmm. So you got to know where you're at. Right. And that's the thing. There's so many different structures within it. And that's, something internally that you feel out as, you, as you're in that environment. But we talked about providing value and how to get opportunities and experience because there's no substitute for experience. Um, but you talk about this as far as serving. And I love the idea that, and this, is, this goes back to even why I started the whole podcast in the first, is to be able to provide value for someone without expecting anything in return. And then eventually when you do that and you build these lasting relationships, the return comes. And, and like you said, sales strategy or however you want to put it, it may not be a short-term, short-term game, but you have to know that each day you're taking a step towards your goal by providing value. So how do we provide value in our jobs, whether that's a day-to-day basis, uh, you know, with our daily tasks or provide value with our teams. Yeah. Well, you know, value is an interesting thing. Um, it's up for interpretation, right? You know, so first of all, I, I, I say you have to start with your role. It's always the yes end. If you want to work on other projects, you better kill it at the day job, at the job they hired you for. Or, you know, only once did it happen for me in that, in that role that I was telling you that I ended up in HR. I was only in the other supply chain role for a few months. And then they're like, whoop, it doesn't usually happen that way. It usually takes years for you to get a role created for you or for them to entertain that other role. Give it some time. But as you're, as you're looking for that, knowing that it's probably not going to happen, come back to the value of saying, you are paying me to work here. And it's a win-win for me because it's a training ground to get experience for whatever my best next is. And so I think it's like a, it's one of those win-wins where if I'm giving and saying like, yes, and I'm going to do this day job and look around for other opportunities to impact, the value goes up for them and now I'm growing. So it's such a win-win to to say that. So, you know, people think I was raised by hippies and I love humanity. So they're like, oh, Anna's all about the people. I am. But if you talk to me long enough, you would see that I spend most of my time talking about the business strategy. Like, what is the direction we're going? I just know that people are the only way we're going to get there. You know, otherwise I would only talk about over here and still love people on the side. Like, no, it's, it's a business imperative to pull those people forward. So when you think about value, it can be done in so many unique ways, but you have to have a good relationship with your leader. And unfortunately, I know that there are a lot of not so great leaders in corporations, ones that maybe got promoted to a sales leader because they were good at sales um, or they knew somebody or what, whatever the circumstances is, guys, I know the landscape you're working in, um, but I don't care. I don't care if they're, if they're not a great leader and they're not meeting with you one-on-one, you initiate it. You let them know the type of relationship that you want with your leader. The worst thing they could say is no. Okay, so you can't meet with me weekly. Could we meet twice a month? Twice a month's not enough. Could we meet monthly? Yes. And if they said no to monthly, I'd be very concerned. And I would just say like, it just doesn't feel like enough for me to get the daily direction or the direction on my projects while also growing me as an individual in this organization. Like that's again, that empowerment of the people that says like, we shouldn't settle for poor leadership. We have to speak up for what we want from them. They may not always be able to meet us, where we're at, but at least we've said, I'm choosing to give the most value that I possibly can in my time. And I need your help as my leader. 
I've been able to do it without my leader's help sometime, but I would say certainly work on your relationship with your leader as the team, be a great collaborator. You know, this goes back to one of my biggest tips for the interns last week. As I said, there's some nice to haves, but one of the must haves is you have to be kind because I could give you numerous examples, Mason, in my career where, you know, good day, bad day. Like I'm a very strategic thinker and on a good day that scene is like valuable and they seek my opinion. And on my bad days when maybe I'm tired or hangry or stressed out, that comes across as like bossy and my way is the only way, right? So we all have these things. Well, there are many times in my career where I operated too long in the zone. Like I said, maybe I was too stressed out. There was something personally going on, whatever season I was in, but it, my work probably came across to other people as unkind. And I think if I would have not being a selfish person at all, but being human and imperfect, now I'm much more thoughtful in saying like, how does this feel to those other people? This is not the Anna show. As many ideas as I have as an entrepreneur, it's still not the Anna show. Even though my name's on the company, I have to think about the four people that work with me. Mm. So it isn't about you. It's got to be about the collective we. And that's how you're going to add value, both as an individual and as a collective. Then we're actually going to be able to move the needle on how our company is handling remote working or how our company is handling being more inclusive for all people within the organization. Because we, we make it so. We make it so with our habits and our behavior. Right. I think it's a tightrope as to how we walk the line of, yes, we need to focus on ourselves and our personal growth and these things and the accomplishments that we're doing within our community. But at the same time, it's not, we don't want to look so far inward that we're not projecting out to our, to our teammates and to yeah. relationships outside of work. I mean, it, I think it goes across the board for all relationships in general, as far as, you know, balancing that, Hey, I need to focus on me. I need to be able to be ambitious and do these things. But at the same time, I need to make sure that I'm projecting that kindness and projecting yeah my light and my truth, whatever that is, uh, to other people and letting them know that, Hey, yes, I'm a go-getter and I want to go get this, but I care about you and I want to take the time out to listen and to hear your opinion. And I think that goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning as well, you know, with, with the times that we're faced with today. Cause I can tell you, Mason, there were probably two years in my entire 24 plus year career where I didn't have to have it be a yes. And it was the Anna show. It was when I was my first two years out where I didn't have a team. And it was really just, what do I want to do today and how do I want to do it? And there's some benefits to that, but I'm lacking the, the team environment. I'm lacking that input. I'm lacking the accountability. I'm lacking the focus that some of my team members can bring us. So that was the only time that it had, it wasn't a yes and it was just the yes. Otherwise, guys, we always have to put ourselves in the end position. It, it, this has, the team has to be nurtured and cared for. That's the yes part. The end part is us. And that, that part's up to us. Right. You said you were raised by hippies. So we're, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my parents always laugh at that because, you know, I think people picture them and they were definitely, I can show you some pictures of my dad with his bandana and his big hair and his, yeah. his leather fringe protest vest, which I still have, by the way, and still wear in some of my protests. Um, but, you know, what I really mean by that, as much as I could reflect on, you know, pot smoking and, and um, other, other activities that might align to, align to hippies, it's, it's more about how I believe the biggest contribution that my family made to me, which is um, that it isn't just about me. It's about the end. You know, that it wasn't ever about how our, our yard or our, 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 my hut, my, or my dad's business at the time, it was always about our community, you know, and that was our church community. When I grew up, that was also the, the city that we lived in where my dad was a pro bono attorney and helped them, you know, rezone and do the things they needed to do to be an effective city. So that's sort of my tip of the cap to say, like, I really appreciate that humanity side of the way that I was raised. And I definitely know that it's had an impact on me individually. And it's, it's now leads where I go as a career. Right. Absolutely. It sounds like that almost has drug, drug over to what your purpose is now, as far as even taking that step and saying, Hey, it's time to go out on my own and help impact businesses and teams. Yeah. And, and that sounds like it was a big part of your upbringing. 
It, was, it really was. And so when I joke about that, it's, it's a little bit also that people understand that I'm a, I'm a little bit of a unique bird that when you work with me, it's like, I'm going to come at things a little bit differently and I'm going to talk about humanity, but I'm going to always talk about it in the way that that helps us achieve our goals and helps us with high performance. Right. And I love that because at the end of the day, that's what it's about. I mean, we are one human race. We are here for a short time. And I feel like a lot of times we get caught up in that, like we were talking about earlier, the go, go, go. And, and we don't take time to cherish that humanity aspect of life day to day. Yeah. So I think, you know, I would say to people and myself, this message goes to me as much as it does for anyone else, as we come out of COVID into whatever our new normal is, uh, we need to do that with really the grace for other people and the grace for ourselves, because we're going to mess up. We formed back to the habits that form the culture in our organization, same ones in the communities that we live in. We have formed a lot of scrappy habits over the past four plus months of COVID-19 that we're going to have to redo into sustainable habits. So we've got to know that we are going to stumble more. It's not going to be like, whoop, we're great. We recovered. No. We fell flat on our face, our knees are skinned, we, we lost our breath a little bit, and like it's going to take us a beat to do that. And I don't know what that will look like economically or for the world of work, but as individuals, we can say, I'm going to do that with compassion, I'm going to do that with grace, I'm going to do that with humanity. I love that. For those of you listening, we have Anna Oaks on right now. You can find her on Instagram at the Anna Oaks, or you can check her out online at buildinghighperformanceteams.com. Definitely go do that. I've, I've enjoyed this conversation so much. A question I love to ask is, what is your definition of success? I'm interested to see what you have to say here. You know, I can say with certainty, having passed up some, some pretty, pretty big gigs in, in the past that for me, my definition of success is it has to do with personal alignment. And that goes back to the self-awareness. You know, there was a study done by Cornell University. The number one predictor of success for CEOs was not strategic thinking or charisma. It was their level of self-awareness. And that means I know what I'm really good at. This is my highest and best use. When we know that, when we're working in our zone of genius, like what, what, what was your position in football? What'd you play? I played quarterback for three years and then tight end. But okay, so I don't know. I, now I got myself in a pickle because I don't know a bunch of other football team or football positions. But if I was suddenly moving you from offense to defense or from a role that you're not familiar with and, and saying that's the role you're going to play on and not give you any support, like you're not in alignment. You can maybe do it in a hot pinch, but it's not going to be as effective. It's going to require more energy of you, both physically and emotionally. You know, we don't think about the physical impact that stress and being out of our zone of genius does, but it does. So guys, when you're thinking about success, this is a time you do get to be selfish and think about what is most important to you and continue to audit to go back to that alignment. That's how you're going to achieve success. Mm, I love that. So where can they find you as far as, you know, if they want to reach out to you and get a hold of you for coaching or speaking, by the way, y'all, Anna has done a Ted talk at Marquette university I did, mm -hmm. and it was great. Y'all definitely check it out. It's like 17 minutes long and definitely has a lot of value. So I think you've learned as much as you need to know about Anna, her <laughs> enthusiasm and passion for what she does and being able to take that leap. But if they want to reach out to you, where else could they find you at? Yeah, you know, I mean, our website, uh, our name, our business name right now is a little tricky. It's buildhighperformingteams.com, but you can Google my name. It's Oaks, O-A-K-E-S, and just get in touch, right? People DM me on Instagram and LinkedIn. I mean, I, you know, it's like I give out free coaching advice all the time because it's a lonely world sometimes when we try to go it alone. And sometimes we just need that encouragement and that push to say like, you got this, like you can figure this part out. And right. people ask, what should I do A or B? It's like, you got to pick and then you got to make the best of it. Right. But you know, hit me up on the website, find me on Instagram or LinkedIn. Um, it's been a hit or miss uh, in terms of the amount of content that I'm putting out on, on those uh, platforms uh, over COVID because my twins are such a big priority for me right now while they're home and trying to grow two humans. But yeah, just let's be connected because I'm happy to support you guys um, virtually or in person. Yeah. And Anna is a great resource for this. Obviously she is 
very well-rounded in what she does and is very passionate about it. And that is what I love. And, and you can see the passion. You can feel passion whenever people are talking about something that they do. And obviously for you, I think it's even more evident when you take a step away from a C-suite level to go follow something that you feel like your heart um, is pulling you to, which is a tough, tough thing to do, but it's very courageous and brave. And um, I, I stand with you and I hope that we can continue this relationship as the years go on. So. Oh, for sure, Mason. I would love it. I'm honored to be on. I'm sending you and all the listeners peace and progress. That's always my favorite, right. favorite way to part. You, you all deserve peace and progress. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of the Breathe in Air podcast. Welcome to the family. And thank you so much for listening today. I hope you got as much out of this episode as I did. I know that Anna is full of wisdom and I hope that you can take something that she said and implement that into your own life. If you have any questions for me, Anna, like she said, is open for you to reach out to her. You can find her on our Instagram at the Anna Oaks, or if you'd like to check out what she does outside of that, obviously she's the CEO of Build High Performing Teams, and you can find her at buildhighperformingteams.com. Great website and a lot of great references and things that she provides over there. So definitely go check that out. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and leave a comment and a rating that just helps the show get out there and get exposure. So that is much appreciated if you enjoyed today's episode. Like I said earlier, if you have any questions for me, anybody that you think would be a good guest to have on and a good fit for the show, or if you just want to talk about something that you have going on and you think that I could have some type of insight or help, I'm here. I'm an open book and I would love to talk to you all. So as always, have a great rest of your week and thanks for being a B.A. Badass. Peace.